from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me joining from London, Subu. Subu, thank you very much for being with me today. Uh, the way I love to do it is I keep it to my guests to introduce themselves. And I know that you have a great, uh, you know, a profile and bio. So the floor is yours, uh, Subu, to introduce yourself. Thank you, Mehmed. The pleasure is all mine. So yes, I am Subhu Rao and I've got a tech background. So I've been an account CTO for um, telco providers here in the UK, like BT, Vodafone, Virgin Media, and a few others. And I've uh, been in the industry for the last 15 years. So I've seen the ups and downs of telco and tech, especially cybersecurity, because that's where my expertise is. So I look forward to this uh, conversation and uh, yeah it's lovely to see you again thank you Subu. so let's start with cybersecurity. so you know you you have this all experience uh, in technology but cybersecurity, you told me it's something which you focus on so why cybersecurity, and you know what are like some some of the current trends that you are seeing today that you can share with us from you know but you, because you are on, on, on also different, I would say, uh, positions as well. So you, you're hearing about it all the place, all over the place. So I would love to hear that from you soon. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's it's an integral part of any organization or any business for that matter. And normally people think, you know, cybersecurity and the, the whole mechanism is for large enterprises and corporations who've got multiple data and, um, and other things to protect. But... Uh, in reality, it's for everybody, starting from the end user, um, from SMB customers, small and medium businesses. It is absolutely imperative for every business which handles customer data, um, which handles um, their own information or anything um, to do with the um, the data. So in that sense, yes, um, it becomes extremely important for the businesses to uh, look after them. And how they do it is um, is dependent on their business um, operandum. So if you look at it, some of the smaller businesses, they would normally outsource this to um, an external party, which will look after this. And again, there is also regulatory requirements, so especially here in the Europe. So let's say you've got customer data, you handle customer data. Um, with regards to GDPR, you give the end user the right to access, the right to erasure, the right to um, correction and then whenever there is um, a breach that happens you also have to notify the end user so you know without a proper robust security system you won't be able to comply with these um, regulatory requirements so it's absolutely important and um, with regards to the effects that it can have it is 
um, it can be quite detrimental if you don't have the right robust security structure. So it could be reputational damage. It could be um, your business could be completely offline and could face an outage um, resulting in direct monetary loss. Um, it could be internal compromise wherein a disgruntled employee might um, leak your company information or proprietary um, information, which could, again, put you out of business. So the impact is huge. It's real. Um, and uh, and again, it's, it's, it's better to just invest in the, um, the proper posture as opposed to fighting the fire once it's happened. Uh, so th that's why it's extremely important for, um, you know, uh, companies to, to look after their cybersecurity posture. And um, yeah, sorry, go on. Have you got a question? No, 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 that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, I was say, um, yeah with regards to trends, um, yes, of course, it's, it's changed and evolved a lot. Um, the one thing, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. Of course, there is AI now. So earlier, if you think about it, to write a piece of malware, you have to be a software programmer. You have to be really good with coding. You need to understand what the backend database is. And that's, that's how people used to create um, sophisticated malwares. But now, you, you go on chat GPT, tell what application you want to um, you know, uh, target. If you say, oh, it's a SQL database, can you write me a malware for that? It can spew out hundreds and hundreds of codes uh, in no time. And all you have to do is just put it on an email and, um, and create a phishing attack and send it to a vulnerable person for them to just click on it. So that's how easy it has become now. Yeah, it's uh, becoming scary day after day, I would say, uh, to your point, Subo. And uh, yeah, so it's not only about, I like you mentioned, it's not only about, you know, large enterprises, also like any business from any side, they can be there uh, like under the attack, actually. One specific type of attack I want to ask you about, because I think we didn't cover it much even here on, on the show, because we covered cybersecurity sometime, which is, the DDoS attack or denial of service attack. So, uh, so you work also with with the telcos and you know like these big guys who, who manage you know large amount of traffic. So if you can shed some light about DDoS in general, and you know is there a way to maybe avoid it? What can we do so we don't have a huge impact after such attack? Sure, it's a it's a very notorious attack. So DDoS actually stands for Distributed Denial of Service. So basically, you're denying a legitimate user his or her end, um, you know, uh, access to the end uh, database or the application. So, I mean, a simple analogy would be: let's say you are um, an owner of a, a bookstore, and you've got legitimate customers who want to come into the bookshop and and buy stuff. But then let's say you've got an attacker or a competitor who just sends in hundreds and hundreds of um, fake uh, customers just to crowd your place and stop the legitimate users to be uh, from being able to make a purchase. So that's what DDoS is all about. And it's been there for a very long time, at least for the last 25 years. Um, so basically what they do is just create fake packets and fake requests and, and sort of... Um, just drown the server so that it doesn't have the capacity to serve um, legitimate users. And uh, the way they do it is you've got software all over the place which can just create fake requests and fake packets. 
Um, and again, the volume can be really big. So if you look at some of the big attacks, so an entire nation, I mean, the, some, some of the attacks were in the whole of uh, countries have been completely out of internet because they can they can flood the entire network, the, the whole of the pipes, wherein nobody is able to um, access anything at all. Um, and we've seen time and again, especially government websites, um, all you have to do is just uh, bring it down for a few hours and, and, and make a huge damage. And every time there is a war, um, you see the cyber warfare happening parallelly, which is sad. And the first attack they pick is DDoS. And uh, there are loads of articles on Cloudflare, Checkpoint, and, and other prominent cybersecurity vendors, which also talks about the DDoS attacks that's been happening now um, between Israel and Palestine. So that's that's one of the attacks that is um, that can create a huge damage. And the way to avoid this and mitigate this is to invest in robust platforms. So the, the way to do it is, of course, um, create uh, a security system. So they call it anomaly detection. So find if something is out of ordinary. So if a, a packet looks out of um, the regular stuff, how do we detect it and and stop it? And for volume, you know, for volumetric attack, wherein it's just uh, the volume. What can we do about the availability? So rather than hosting your data in one server, can you geographically disperse it? Can you put it in multiple data centers in cloud so that even if one or two gets sort of inundated, what about the other ones? So there are mechanisms to cope with it, but then it comes with proper planning. It comes with um, choosing the right vendor, choosing the right um, you know DDoS mitigation provider. Yeah, and actually it's one of the hardest ones, I think, Subu, because, you know, like when you deal, for example, with, let's say, ransomware or let's say any kind of malware or phishing. So here, you know, there are some preventive things you can do. Of course, here you can have, as you said, you have proper systems. But to your point, what we started to see, like even like companies with the huge, I would say, investments and infrastructure, because I think maybe... Two weeks back, uh, you know, OpenAI, they were under the massive DDoS attack also as well. And, you know, even the API stopped to work, you know, like ChatGPT stopped to work, which is, it's like really, uh, at to the, po to the point that you mentioned before, it's like brand damage. It's like uh, sometimes, you know, affecting also the revenue. One of the things that I loved, and, you know, so thank you for this explanation when you gave the bookstore uh, example. So like it's you fill your shop with people who are not there to pay, just <laughs> they fill the shop, the legitimate buyers are outside waiting because there is no space for them to enter. And yeah, so I, I love this one. Now, what I want to ask you, uh, so like what other like uh, big threats are you seeing? Like we talked about some of them. But what do you think is the one which is really will be dominant in the coming months, years to, to come from a cybersecurity perspective? So with regards to the attack in itself, uh, DDoS is, is of course going to be there. And then secondly, there's going to be a lot of AI generated malware because it's a lot, lot easier to craft a malware now. And then phishing attacks has always been there. So... And again, emails are something that we use um, for everyday business. So, you know, we can't be without 
um, email. So that, again, is another medium where an attack is sort of um, uh, used to compromise the end users. And um, the other ones, I would say, is man-in-the-middle attack. So um, it's not as common, but it's absolutely still doable. So especially, let's say, we have people working from public places like coffee shops and airports. So MITM is also an attack that's um, doable. And um, database attacks have um, become less prominent, I would say, because um, back in those days, um, there used to be a lot of attacks such as buffer overflow exploits, wherein you just look at this, the backend database and create a backdoor and um, create very specific attacks. But those have, um, you know, sort of obsolete, I would say, because we are good in um, creating quick patches and um, yeah, and then keeping the databases safe. It's more towards targeted towards the end users and on the networks nowadays. Yeah, perfect. Uh, you know, and I think I can agree with you also, especially AI. I think AI driven attacks are going to become, you know, also very uh, common and, and famous also as well. Now, you you also have this mix between technology and, and business, right? And just to continue on the cybersecurity before we, we go move forward to other topics. Now, from business perspective, you know, how can I make money with cybersecurity, but in a legitimate way, I would say, <laughs> being the good guy, not the bad guy? Of course, it's, um, it's a lucrative industry. So, because the skills that you need to enter the cybersecurity you know, domain is, is a bit hard. Um, but again, not to say that it's not doable, um, but it's a very niche area which requires specific training and specific knowledge to enter this domain. So can you make money out of cybersecurity? Of course, yes. Um, there is loads of verticals, loads of jobs that you can take. Um, to give you an example, I would say, let's say um, you can either work for a cybersecurity vendor. So that could be the likes of uh, Fortinet Palo Alto or Zscaler or Cisco or um, or the cybersecurity companies work for them and uh, and look after its end customers. Or um, the other thing is you can become a, a consultant um, and uh, provide consultation for, you know, uh, businesses. And another way is to work for a large organization. So it could be BT, for instance, or Vodafone and work in their IT department. And every IT sector, IT department would have uh, somebody to look after the cybersecurity strategy. So you could also do that. And and all of these routes are, um, you know, decently compensated. And um, yes, of course, you will make a lot of money. But also, in the end, if you want to start a, a, your own cybersecurity company, absolutely, that's another thing. Because um, the total addressable market for you know, all of these um, domains like network security or application security or endpoint security, it's, it's, it's a lot. And uh, it's been dominated by you know, the traditional vendors for many, many decades, but things are changing now. So customers are looking for point product solutions. So if you've got a startup which um, is addressing a very specific niche use case, you can enter the market and, and, and definitely take some uh, market share. A good example would be, um, you know, cloud security. So there are solutions like CSPM, DSPM, which is 
data security posture management or cloud security posture management. These ones are all new startup companies which are entering in the space and uh, and making an, an impact. Um, and how do you get into cybersecurity? That's an that's a interesting question because, I mean, I did the traditional route of uh, doing my undergrad and then doing a master's in cybersecurity. But then you necessarily, I mean, it helps, but you don't have to go through a master's. Um, the other things I would say is you can do like professional certifications. So CEH, like, um, you know, the ethical hacking or uh, certifications from um, Cisco, like CCNB or, uh, or CompTIA. Uh, but the good thing is nowadays you have a lot of these certifications, which is um, free of cost, especially from vendors. So if you went to university.fortinet.com, they give you tons and tons of uh, knowledge for free. And similarly, every other vendor has some program or other which teaches you the basics of uh, cybersecurity. But the one thing I would suggest is before somebody gets into the security space, they should also learn about the networking space. So, so they sort of go hand in hand, networking and security. So networking is when how you connect two data points or two entities. Um, so in technical terms, you call it OSI layer one to four. So that's how you connect two entities. And anything above layer four, which is layer four to seven, is all about security. So yeah, so you know, start with your networking and then learn about security is what I would personally advise. Uh, you know, every single, you know, person we, we talk to, uh, on the show and I love the approach that you gave uh, Supo because you know the best way sometimes to become let's say entrepreneur in, in cyber security is to work for an established company like one of the big vendors you mentioned or maybe it's a telecommunication company or managed service provider so where, where you can you know learn about the basics and then you start to understand where are the pain points yeah, and to your to your point, you know, like this uh, new type of uh, vendors who looks after specific niche areas that customers they don't get them covered from these big companies. So they usually, you know, the posture management, whether it's like uh, for cloud or even uh, for other ones. So point, uh, you know, like it's very very valid. And uh, thank you for sharing that, Sugo. Now, one thing you mentioned is uh, uh, about you know the education and. For you, so like also you took not only the technology, you know, uh, I would say um, around, but also you decided to deep more into the business world. And this is why you have your executive MBA. So, and I am asking you this question because I know a lot of my, even my circle, you know, my friends who always, you know, they say, okay, we come from a very technical background. What could bridge us? to become entrepreneurs, to become, you know, more familiar with the terms of business. So tell me more, like a little bit about your decision to go this route and what were the benefits that uh, that you have acquired? Yes, MBA is, um, uh, is an interesting topic because um, it is something that is entirely different to what I was doing in the last you know, 15 years. And again, that was another reason because, you know, COVID gave us the time to sort of um, introspect and uh, and sort of, uh, you know, ask questions about what do you want to do with life and, and and do something different. And again, I've, I've been in the tech for a very long time and um, 
it felt like I was hitting the ceiling and I wanted to do something different. Um, so, and, and hence the MBA. And again, MBA gives you this sort of rounded experience. So it gives you um, exposure into finance and accounting and marketing and sales and business development. Um, I think it's a, it's a useful skill to have. Um, and again, I didn't do the regular uh, MBA. So I did executive MBA, which is for more experienced professionals, which worked really well for me. Because um, regular MBA, you might have to um, just do it full time. Mine was more sort of in the weekend. So it didn't have an impact on my day job. Uh, in that sense, it worked really well. Um, and I was also fortunate to get a, a spot in one of the uh, leading institutions here in the UK, which is London Business School. Um, and again, which has fantastic faculty, um, really good um, course curriculum. And the way it was set up, again, was more practical as opposed to classroom study. So it was it was it was both hybrid. Um, so we had um, educational trips to San Francisco, to Dubai and uh, and uh, and also classroom based training. So it was, it was a proper mix and, and exactly what I was looking for. So what did I gain out of that? Again, it's it's the networking bit as well. So meeting with other like-minded professionals, people who have been in the industry and learning from them was um, a great plus point. And um, yeah, I mean, prior to this, I wasn't very good with finance or accounting or economics. So this gave me a good insight into um, other spaces. And, and also... Um, entrepreneurship and VC and private equity and fundraising. These are the things that you don't get exposed to unless you go looking for it. So MBA was a really good platform, um, which, which, which gave me a taster of uh, all these uh, interesting nuggets. That's very cool. So I mentioning about, uh, you know, two questions actually, because you mentioned about the skills, right? And I know that also you 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 know you work with with uh, with other entrepreneurs also as well. You mentioned something about sales and marketing. How much are these two skills, in your opinion, are very underrated, especially for technical co-founders? Because I know you know that you you, you find the founder sometimes co both of co-founders they are both technical and they miss or they lack these skills. So how much is it important? And if you want to rank it like other than, you know, sales, so what do you say that they should learn? For example, first sales, second this, third that. So how, how do you rank that? So the first one I would say is marketing. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong. It's just my um, personal <laughs> perspective and, and the way I would want to rank it because I know founders, technical founders who've got fantastic products, brilliant products. It can be, really um i don't know um you know uh, 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 truly transformational products but if they don't have the right narrative if they don't have the, the proper storytelling then it doesn't it, it's it's of no use um wherein i've also seen on the other spectrum wherein the pro the product in itself is mediocre probably it's not even fully developed you've got the basic idea but then if you are a great storyteller if you know how to package and market your product that can go um, you know longer distance 
which is exactly what people are looking for in the the VC space, especially when you're raising for money. Yes, of course, you need a good idea and a product and all that. But then how do you package the story and take it to your end customers? How do you take it to the VCs in the first place to sell them your idea and uh, raise money if you need to? So in that sense, I would say marketing is absolutely crucial. And then the next thing I would say is probably uh, the organizational skills, which is basic um, understanding of putting things together in a proper sequence. How do we do this? How, how do we plan for this? How do we make this happen? So we've got this target. How do we um, reach that target with these smaller milestones? So the way I would say is uh, when I work with founders, I tell them that have your strategic goal to say this is where you want to reach in the next two, five, ten years. And also have your tactical milestones, which measures the progress to make sure that you're marching along the right direction and you don't get um, wavered off in, in, in things that you shouldn't be. So, yes, marketing first, organizational skills next. And third, I probably say sales. And again, sales is something that I wouldn't worry too much about because especially when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a founder, when you start your own business, there are fantastic sales people out on the field, out in the market that you can hire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sales is something that I wouldn't worry. And again, it's very regional and um, and depends on the geography. So if you've got your product, you probably want to hire the best of salespeople from um, in, in the in UAE, for example, if that's where you want to sell it. Or if you want to sell it in the Europe, you probably want to, um, yeah, pick out the best salespeople from, from Europe then because, you know, uh, geography also plays a huge part when it comes to relationship building with the end customers and actually making a sale of that product. Um, so in that sense, the entrepreneur can be slightly hands-off. Um, and finally, a good product knowledge as well. Yes, you probably have um, developers and and other, other people who build the product for you because, again, this can be outsourced. Um, you, you basically need an idea because um, most of the successful entrepreneurs I've seen, they don't get hands-on and build the actual product. They would create the organizational flow. They would create uh, uh, the vision for the idea or the solution that they're trying to build. And um, various bits and pieces of those is usually outsourced to, I don't know, um, remote places like India or, or somewhere else, which is uh, who are good in building things. Um, you know, I can put all my hands up with you on the storytelling and, you know, and I'm sure like this is something you do also yourself, Subu, on maybe daily basis, if, if you, I can say that. The number one thing I always tell uh, founders, especially first-time founders, that you guys, maybe you came up with a very fantastic product idea, but if you are not able to tell me in a story way, when I say story, you know, I, I tell them you don't have to write it like a uh, <laughs> like a storybook. What I what we mean by story is you need to show me me as a user or customer or consumer of your product, service, whatever it is. Show me, you know, from where I am coming and where I will be ending by using your service. And if you don't or you cannot create this wow effect at me, you know, and this is, I know exactly that the VCs, you know, they look at these things because 
yeah, I can bring them, you know, the super, you know, I say I have an AI powered, secure, whatever product or service and then say, okay, so what? Like, adopt it. But, you know, if you tell it in a way, which is a little bit, I would say hooking and a little bit can put, you know, the suspense in it, like it can all say, you know, like really I want to use this product or I really want to understand more about what you're trying to do. And I am a little biased, although like I don't have a marketing background, but I always tell like you need to do marketing in order to do sales because without marketing, you cannot do sales. Like, okay, you can, but it's not easy and it will then rely on personal relationship. It's not about, you know, the product or whatever. So this is why also you mentioned something very, uh, very true. So and example is look at look at Apple. You know they they exactly. are the best marketing company in the world. I mean the features it could be mediocre. I, I don't know. There, there are other vendors out in the market who've got better solutions, better products, better technology. But then Apple is the one who who are dominant, and uh, it all comes down to their marketing strategy, the way they do their storytelling. That's what makes them super sticky and uh, you know creating that brand value of uh, of apple 100 um, percent. so so the, even the way that you know the not only the story itself the way of delivering the story also you know like uh, and i advise uh, people to read the book build by tony fadel who, who was behind the ipod and the iphone also as well and he he he, he in multiple places in the book he mentioned how uh, you know, like Steve Jobs was mastering this uh, art of storytelling and telling you, for example, one thousand song in in your pocket, right? So, so you try. So this is a hooking thing. Okay, I I need to listen to you. I need to hear more about what you're trying to do. So, hundred percent on that one. Now, talking about you know uh, founders and raising uh, and VCs uh, from. You know, the activities that you do, so where are you seeing the majority of uh, money going to? So which type of startup? Like, is it the fintech? Is it like, which, which, which vector, sorry, vertical are we seeing the funds going more? Yeah, with regards to fundraising and VCs, it comes in waves and everybody is chasing that wave. So, and it's historically been this way. Um, so right now, the current wave is all about AI, Web3, and crypto. So I know some of the founders, where I mean, it's, it shouldn't be the way it is. But again, it's not even a, an AI product. All they do is just add AI to it to make it uh, appealing for the investors and, and try to push it through. So it is unfortunate uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, the end user, he doesn't care how it gets resolved or how do you address the problem? Is, is that if it's AI, if it's Excel, if it's whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as long as you solve the problem. Uh, but then to answer your question, right now it's all about AI um, and uh, Web3 and blockchain and crypto. How can you use the blockchain to create you know, additional applications, um, which, is, which is really unfortunate. I mean, especially in my view, it looks like you know there are there are companies where who are trying to keep this whole blockchain technology alive uh, by finding something or the other um, to to keep it relevant. So initially it was all the crypto coins and 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 the whole 
um, decentralized finance and all that. And then afterwards, when that um, simmered down a little bit, they went for NFTs. Oh, we've got a new um, use case for the blockchain. We've got these um, NFTs and you can own your products and um, you can um, sign it and, and verify your authenticity and all that. And now that's died down a little bit and they had to find a new use case for the blockchain. And it's it's all about Web3. So how do we use Web3 as, a, as an application of blockchain um, to create a more uh, decentralized and a, and a different way of browsing the internet? So it just feels like, um, yeah, churning the same thing again and again, hoping to keep it alive for, for whatever reason. Um, but yes, this is the, the you know, the uh, whether we like it or not, is are the current trends which are super active and are also successful in raising funds. Oh, wow. You know, like, uh, I'm not surprised by, by the, you know, Web uh, Web three and DeFi, you know, I had uh, I had some founders on the show, and they were telling me that even themselves, without pushing much for investors, investors actually were after them. Uh, yeah, we need to watch this space. Personally, I think you know, from technology perspective, and again, I remove the cryptocurrency from the equation, so I become fair. You know, there are some real applications over there, but, you know, the problem is there's so much noise in the market, I think, Subu, and, you know, this is what is affecting, right? Sure. And again, tech is, is again, another prominent vertical, which is raising a lot of capital. Um, and the way it works in the in the VC space is that you have dedicated allocations um, of funds. So normally, it's you wouldn't raise 200 million to sort of uh, spray and pray. So, I mean, at least most of the established ones, they would pick a niche. So right. if there's a fund which is dedicated for tech, uh, it would just go into tech. If there is a, a, um, a fund that is dedicated for fintech, it's mostly into fintech and uh, uh, or it could be for crypto or, or, or normally they would pick a niche. And the other things we're also seeing are... Um, the climate ones, the impact investing, wherein um, they are funding a lot about um, you know companies which are looking at carbon footprints, um, you know carbon credits, um, renewables. So that again is another um, upcoming sort of vertical which is raising a lot of investment. It's good you mentioned this, but I will ask you something about that. But uh, from I mean, source of these funds perspective, you know, and because I'm asking an expert here, so is it true like my region, the Middle East region, Dubai, Saudi, and Dhabi, and you know, other, is where the money of VCs is currently? Like, is it is there still money in the VCs in the US and Europe? How you are seeing that space? Um, it's interesting here in Europe and uh, and in the US, given the inflation rates and all that. And again, at the end of the day, um, the investor needs to get the best return for their investments. Um, traditionally, when the interest rates were lower, it made sense to um, invest in more risky portfolio like VCs and PEs. Uh, I mean, I would say VCs more than PEs. Um, but now things are slightly different. Um, the free money is is over now, and again, um, investors are looking for 
I don't know, uh, you know, they probably are getting um, better returns from traditional investing as opposed to VC investing. So in that sense, there is definitely a crunch. I can I can see that here. Like that's that's what I hear from my network as well. Um, wherein the Middle East is an entirely different story. Um, so there are sovereign wealth, and uh, they are looking for futuristic projects, um, and 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 not so much about the immediate returns. At least um, that's what I've experienced with the VCs that I've worked in the Middle East. A good example would be DFDF. So that's Dubai Future District Fund. So that's a sovereign wealth fund. Um, uh, it's government fund. And it's, it's they call it an evergreen fund, which means they don't have a cab. So unlike other VCs in Europe or in the US, and the fund size could be, I mean, it could, start, it, it could range from 20 million to 200 million. But um, DFDF, they've got no cab. So as long as it's a futuristic project, they're happy to invest in it. So that is, uh, you know, th those sort of stuff you see in the Middle East and 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 not elsewhere. Yeah, great insight again, Subu. Uh, I will come back to 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 our point, and you know, like by the time I'm airing this episode, it will be the week of uh, of COP twenty eight, which happening uh, here in, in in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. So this huge topic, green technology, climate tech, um, you know, and we hear about all these, you know, acronyms, uh, ESGs and all this. So what's happening in that space? Because also I know like you follow and you work sometimes with these startups who are in, in, in that field. So what's happening in, in that? Too? And again, it's a, it's a huge field, um, which is drawing a lot of attention, a lot of investments. Uh, and rightly so, um, looking at the global warming, you know, I think we, we should have a, a decent sense of responsibility um, to, you know, leave a better place for the future generations. So we are doing the right things, probably not as um, efficiently or quickly as it is currently needed, but then, you know, at least we are going in the right direction. So with regards to what's happening, yes, there, there, and again, there is a, a lot of um, sub-verticals in it. So there is, how do we use hydrogen as a source? How do we use uh, batteries as, a, as an example? How do we um, think about carbon credits? Um, so there are loads of different sub-verticals in it. So the one thing that I can speak about uh, is what is tech doing with regards to this? So... The concept is called green computing, which is to minimize the amount of carbon footprint that an organization or a data center is leaving on the planet. Um, so what, what do I mean by that? So you know, if you have to run a data center with servers and, and uh, you know, all your networking gear, it's going to take a lot of electricity and a lot of power consumption that, that needs to happen with the data center. Um, so how do we make it efficient uh, with regards to the hardware in itself and also with regards to the architecture to um, yeah, manage this efficiently. So the first thing to look at is um, the, heat con the, the heat consumption at a data center level. So can we optimize that? Can we find better cooling systems um, within the data center? Can we recycle the power that's used by one device to another device? Can we optimize the 
the fundamental hardware like ASICs and the FPGA chips, uh, the semiconductor chips, which goes into these hardware, can we optimize that to make sure that it doesn't use as much um, you know, electricity? Or the other thing that I sort of look at it, which is what I've been advising large telcos to do, is the fundamental consolidation of um, that existing footprint. So an example would be, let's say Vodafone has um, 500 firewalls or uh, devices in their data center. Do they really need these 500 firewalls? Because usually the, the vendors who sell this technology, uh, they would want to sell as much as they want. And, and usually it's over-provisioned. You probably don't need all of that hardware. Can we consolidate that and make it 300, for instance? Can we use virtualization techniques to say, um, we buy a big hypervisor and create VM instances, virtual instances of these 500 units so that we just reduce the overall footprint of the, the entire data center. And that is something that a lot of telcos and large organizations have picked up um, as, you know, uh, as the first step that they should be looking at with regards to green computing. Um, and yes, they, they are working on it. And I can see a lot of digital transformation happening whole of uh, you know in telco space and banking space um, to yeah uh, basically getting rid of existing chunky beefy hardware and uh, making it virtualized either in their own private uh, data centers or uh, moving it to the cloud wherein you only um, create vms for for your requirement as opposed to just over provisioning it and again, now the technology is really good as well. So you, if there is a sudden surge with regards to the traffic or the capacity, you can auto-scale. You can just spin up additional VMs uh, on demand. And it's it, the technology is there to support it now. Uh, I'm happy that you brought this because I think, you know, as people in technology, you and I, so we we have also talking about climate and you know living the the, the earth better place than we found it. Yeah, like you know, uh, consolidation is something pretty much needed. And uh, regardless what you know path you take, whether it is public cloud, you decide to keep. The good thing I'm starting to see. So now we started to see companies and even local companies from cooling from you know, power generation, they're trying to rely on, for example, solar energy and so on. But the good thing is you brought today is talking not only from the outside and on the big level, but going into the details because, yeah, for, for people who are not technical, like each one of these servers, like, you know, like it consumes some BTU power, which is like cooling, electricity, you know, and this is, I'm not talking about all the other operational stuff. So... And, and to your point, so when virtualization technology came actually to solve this fundamental problem is that you have a lot of wasted resources that is sitting doing nothing and actually you can benefit out of it. Now, we're going to see if we will be able to do that because AI is bringing also again this, uh, you know, it's, it's hungry for, for CPU, it's hungry for memory, it's hungry for, for you know, for uh, computing power. So we're going to watch this space, but yeah, like we need to be more responsible because, you know, the, the amount of heat, guys, you, you need to know that the amount of heat that comes out of these 
beasts, I would call like these pieces of hardware that you see maybe in movies, because the other day it was funny enough talking to, I was, you know, helping someone to deliver a training about technology to someone who doesn't come from a technology background. And he asked like, do you know what say data center is? I said, uh, and then we showed, you know, oh, okay, this is what we see in movies. I said, yes, exactly. So what you see guys in the movies, all these, you know, sophisticated computers, they produce a lot of, you know, heat. They need a lot of power. They need a lot of, you know, cooling energy. And I think, Sumo, you, you brought something very important here that we need to make sure that we are not wasting the resources and producing more heat. And again, this is in the spirit of the week of COP, actually, and uh, the COP28, which is happening in the UAE. So as almost we're coming to an end, any final thoughts you want to leave us with today, especially for first-time founders, maybe, and people who are maybe interested in cybersecurity? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, cybersecurity is, a, is an interesting space. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very important space wherein people should get involved in and not just from an organization's perspective, but also from an end user's perspective. Because, you know, even till this date, we, we still have phishing emails, we have spam calls, and it all comes down to knowledge and education. So the one thing that I would urge, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a startup company or if you're an established company, cybersecurity is not about just the technology, but the fundamental awareness of not getting conned by the attackers and for that um it doesn't you don't have to be uh, an ethical hacker but then to be able to protect yourself um and not fall victims because it, it's heartbreaking when i see elderly people losing their money for phishing emails and and young people getting uh, distracted with all sorts of um, uh, you know uh, the content that they, they that they see that they're not supposed to be watching. So things like that, um, and and parents if they are sort of you know technically aware as to how to help their elderly and how to help their children, that is what you know um, would be would would that's how we properly use the technology for our benefit as opposed to um, going down with it. So that's my, um, you know, the, the final fundamental conclusion, I would say, is to make sure that when we look at tech and especially cybersecurity, uh, make sure that you're um, aware and, and, and look at it from an educational uh, point of view. Yeah, 100%, Subo. And especially if you are in the startup or a startup, don't delay talking to someone who can help you because... Uh, what you might think, oh, I'm not important, I'm small, I just started, that's not true. Uh, especially if you are a tech uh, startup founder, you know, your code, what are your designs, they are intellectual property for you and people are after them. Worst case scenario, they can just delete them and then you have to repeat the work again. And again, you don't want to waste time, you don't want to waste money, especially if you have raised some funds from a VC or angel investor because you need to protect now, not your investment, you need to protect the investment that actually you took from someone else. So to Subo's point, this is very important. Don't delay. Reach out to an expert uh, to help you on that. Um, and yeah, like 100% true Subo on this one. Now, really, I enjoyed the discussion. With, like, I, we tried to cover kind of a 360 degrees between cybersecurity, startups, uh, venture capitalists, and uh, you know what you are seeing, and green technology and climate also as well. So it was a very rich 
episode. Thank you very much Sobo, for, for that. Final question, where people can find more about you? Um, yes, um, you know, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a platform that I'm quite active on. So if there is any, you know, um, further questions or any clarifications that you might want, I'm happy to assist. And again, you know, thank you, Mehmet, for this invite. Absolutely loved it. It's, it's nice seeing you again. And I'm, you know, happy I'm a guest on the show. It was my pleasure. So I will make sure that I will put, uh, so was LinkedIn address in the show notes so guys if, if you want to reach out to him and also if you want to pass anything you can also reach out to me and i will be happy uh subo and myself we are connected thank you subo again and this is how i end my episode so for the people who are tuning in for the first time i hope you enjoyed it so if you enjoyed it please don't forget to you know subscribe to the channel or if you are listening on the podcast platform also subscribe there and for the loyal listeners and audience thank you again for you know being so loyal and sending all your uh, compliments and uh, feedbacks to me and you know keep them coming i i love to read all of them and also if you're interested to be on the show don't hesitate to reach out to me we can make an arrangement that's not a big issue as long as you have you know a great idea you want to talk about a topic which you think it's uh, should be shared with the rest of of, uh, of us please do so and uh, thank you again. We will meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, buddy. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.